Hello, I'm Ian Hartley. And I'm Warren Kay. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see Him more clearly, love Him more dearly, and follow Him more nearly. You will notice the sound quality on our track today is not uh, what you have come to expect, but I assure you that neither one of us were exposed to a coronavirus in the recording of this podcast as we were able to both stay in our individual homes and use different technology to bring this to you. I hope you enjoy it. For a long time, I was aware that there was a, a difference between guilt and shame, but didn't really understand the difference. And so right at the beginning of this podcast on guilt and shame, I want to acknowledge the contribution of Renee Brown. Uh, to my understanding, I mean, the impetus to make a significant difference in my thinking between these two phenomena. And I especially recommend her presentations on YouTube if you would like to uh, have more exposure to the idea of shame in one's life. The, the great value for me in uh, understanding the difference between guilt and shame is the insight it gives to Bible stories uh, that we are familiar with. But in not distinguishing between guilt and shame, we lose much of the insight that uh, we could have. So you you might find or think that uh, the first half of this podcast is really going overboard in psychology or uh, emotional development, but we need to do the background work so that when we get to the Bible stories, we can decode them and understand what's at play in each one of them. So Warren, that's a long introduction and uh, would you be interested in talking about guilt and shame? I, I certainly would. And I, I, you know, I appreciate your uh, recognizing Brene Brown's contribution. Uh, but does she talk about the difference between guilt and shame? Or you're saying applying what she teaches about shame and contrasting that with guilt? No, she speaks about the difference oh, she does. Uh, between these two concepts. Okay. So she, professionally, she's a social worker. Um, so she's very interested in healing people um, emotionally and psychologically. So hence her interest mm. in these two uh, phenomena in all of our lives. So let's get right into it. Um, guilt uh, has to do with some action on a person's part. So if, uh, you, if you want to acknowledge your guilt, uh, you can say, I am sorry, I made a mistake. And the more detail you can give, the better usually, the more specific you are. It seems to me that guilt uh, is something that God uh, put in our uh, creation for our protection, just like we have physical pain. If you touch a hot object, you feel the pain and withdraw your, your hand, usually. And so guilt is emotional protection for wrongdoing on our part. Whereas shame is not about doing something, it's about how you feel about yourself as a person. So whereas in guilt you would say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, in shame, you would say, I am a sorry mistake. Uh, I don't know if you see the difference. Yeah, I think I think one, um, yeah, I'm thinking about something that I did that I can make right, and the other feels the same, but there's nothing that I did to, to cause me to feel that way. It's just how I, how, how I believe I am. Yeah, and, and it doesn't seem to a person who's experienced shame that they can actually do anything about it. Right. We'll talk, talk about that a bit later. This uh, experience of shame, I believe, comes from the devil, and it's one of the ways that he tries to destroy us. Uh, we, the beautiful creation of God. 
So I need to make a few caveats here. Often guilt and shame are difficult to separate in our experience, but it's very helpful to experience to separate them because the way we deal with guilt as opposed to shame is different. Yeah. And then sometimes we confuse, um, we have terms that are confusing. For instance, when we say, I'm ashamed of what I did, we actually mean um, I'm guilty for that action. Uh, it's not about shame particularly. Um, as we make the difference, that'll become clearer. So why do we have a sense of guilt when we've done something? It, it is because we have a sense of integrity. So every human being apart from a psychopath has an idea of what is right and what is wrong. So we might differ on what is right and what is wrong, but we all acknowledge that there is a right way and the wrong way. So for instance, if you have a group of mafiosa together and the one squealed on the others, they all know that that's wrong. And uh, their favorite punishment was to shoot a person's kneecaps off, which mm. isn't very comforting. So let's talk about our conscience for a minute. Your conscience flows out of the sense of integrity, but your conscience is educated by your parents in your early life, your extended family, and then your church or your society, your culture, and then, of course, especially by school. And uh, so it, your guilt uh, actually arises from within you, your sense of integrity and then your conscience, which has been educated um, with certain values and standards. So dealing with guilt is really not very difficult. You uh, recognize that you've done wrong within yourself. Uh, you confess what you've done wrong to the right person. You make restitution if necessary, and then you reform your life. Um, that's, I know it's difficult sometimes because of our pride, but actually the mechanics of dealing with guilt, not all that difficult. It's pretty straightforward. And then when you've uh, achieved forgiveness, uh, this results in a sense of well-being within the person. And it's a wonderful feeling. So, Warren, I know I'm putting you on the spot and being very intrusive. Have you ever experienced guilt? And can you tell us a story about it? Well, you know, um, we live in the farm, and so I didn't have the chance to be in stores much. So I never did steal anything in a store. Um, but um, I think for me, it would have been, you know, as a kid, uh, lying to my parents. They asked me if I did something, and I said no. And, and so I would feel that guilt and that weight and that, uh, just a heaviness until I, I went back and, and confessed that I had and that I had lied. And, and then once they forgiven me, it was released. It was gone. It was just lifted and it felt much, much better. Okay, so what did you lie about? Give me well, I think it was a specific example. So um, it was something that, that uh, they wanted to know if I had done. I think I had left the... Um, the the, the um, water turned on in a tank a waterer and I hadn't shut it off and um, and blamed it on my brother or something like that and so yeah something. so it's just uh, the simple things like that um, uh, but we can deal with them I don't think you feel guilty about that today do you oh no no so let's talk about shame more specifically now you know it creates an unpleasant self-conscious emotion and it's associated with a negative self-image. Feelings of distress, exposure, mistrust, powerlessness, and worthlessness. I just took that definition out of Wikipedia. In plain English, it's when you don't feel good enough. Brene Brown says, if you breathe, 
you have shame. Well, that, would include, a, that would include a lot of people. <laughs> well, like almost 8 billion. <laughs> yeah. So there are some people who seem to be shame resistant. We'll talk about them a bit later. When we talk about King David, he seems to have been shame resistant. So in my last year of high school, the principal called me being a tradesman in the future uh, because my IQ indicated that I wouldn't make it at university and that would be a very frustrating experience for me. Hmm. So um, I had my heart set on being an engineer and this was devastating news. He was wrong. <laughs> um, I can say that with authority uh, a few degrees later. But you know how it played out in my life, because he was a very significant person at that time in my life, is that every time I'm trying to accomplish something and I can't quite succeed at it, I think of him and I start to wonder if he was right. Mm. So it, it brings about that shame in me um, that I have to deal with again. It's almost like it never goes away. You, you have to keep dealing with it. So, um, what do you know about G.K. Chesterton? Well, he was a very influential Christian author and yes. uh, made quite an impact on the Christian church. He wrote a poem called The Donkey, which is actually about shame. Now, I learned this poem somewhere in school, um, and I, I rediscovered it the other day, and for the first time realized what it was actually about. So, I'll just um, take you through the first two verses. Sure. When fishes flew and forests walked and figs grew upon thorn, some moment when the moon was blood, then surely I was born. So he's talking about the injustice of his births. And he's saying, well, it's like fishes flying. It should never have been like this. Mm. And then he describes himself as a donkey with monstrous head and sickening cry and ears like errant wings. The devil's walking parody on all four-footed things. So Chesterton is really describing the shame of being a donkey. But I suspect in his description, he's actually talking about himself hmm. and his own shame. So he carries on the tattered outlaw of the earth of ancient crooked will. Starved, scourged, deride me, I am dumb. I keep my secret still. One of the curious things about shame is that we hide it. It's very difficult for us to recognize or acknowledge our shame. And then he, Chesterton comes to a resolution like this, and it plays out in what we know about the antidote for shame. Fools, for I also had my arm, one far fierce hour and sweet. There was a shout about my ears and palms before my feet. And of course, uh, Chesterton is talking about uh, Jesus arriving in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, riding a donkey, and the people shouting, Hallelujah, blessed be the son of David, and strewing palm branches for the donkey to walk on. So, it's a very uh, interesting uh, poem for me to read, now that I know a little bit about shame. So is he suggesting that if, if shame is the donkey, and Jesus rode the donkey, that Jesus conquered shame? You right on. Mm. And uh, one of the things we'll say about uh, dealing with shame is that uh, when we get positive affirmation or empathy, this helps us to deal with our shame. 
Okay, yeah. So that's what's happening to the donkey through Jesus riding on it. It's being acclaimed um, as a very important animal. Mm. So here's the way that shame can manifest itself. Uh, people who wear dark glasses uh, when it's not necessary, they want to keep their eyes hidden. Uh, they usually lower their gaze, they might blush. There's biting of lips or tongue, forced smile, fidgeting. People who are full of shame are very easily annoyed, they're very defensive, and they're given to exaggeration or denial. These are just some of the manifestations of shame in our lives. And then one that I've often wondered about is that shame often interferes with our ability to think, which may result in confusion, being at a loss for words or a completely blank mind, think on my feet. Uh, do you understand this? Can you explain this to me, Warren? Well, I, I, you know, as you gave, gave that definition, um, I, I can relate to that. Often when I am uh, sharing something and someone disagrees with me, uh, I tend to be often at a loss for words and I, I can't, my mind just kind of goes blank. And, and I think it's, it's because of the shame that I have in my life, uh, a sense of, of not being good enough. And uh, it just prevents me from, from really engaging in someone that has a different opinion than I have. Um, I tend to uh, have grown up often just agreeing with people and going on and never really challenging them because it's hard for me to um, share my reasons for, for disagreeing. Yeah, thank you. That's, uh, that's very vulnerable of you to talk so openly about it. So shame is uh, probably best indicated by our negative self-talk. When we promise ourselves, I will never, whatever, or I always, whatever. I'm not good enough. I do not deserve. And even in our Christian experience, we wonder at times if we are real Christians because of the shame uh, that we carry within us. But it's that negative self-talk which really defines us. And uh, dealing with negative self-talk is really difficult and can be quite exhausting. And, and we've talked before about the negative tapes that tend to run through our mind. And they have their roots right here. Uh, feeling yeah. like I'm, I'm never good enough. Um, I can never do it right. Um, yeah, those are can be very powerful and very crippling. And, you know, sometimes when trauma comes in our life, uh, it seems to be automatic to wonder if you caused this by doing something wrong uh, at some other time in your life. So I, I want to quote... Um, uh, this paragraph because of um, the reference to nakedness in it. Though terror speaks to life and death, and distress makes of the world a veil of tears, yet shame strikes deepest into the heart of man. Shame is felt as an inner torment, a sickness of the soul. The humiliated one feels himself naked, defeated, alienated, lacking in dignity and worth. And when I read that quote uh, of Sylvan Tompkins, I thought immediately of what happened to Adam and Eve. They felt naked, defeated, alienated, lacking in dignity and worth. And so they hid away and tried to clothe themselves with fig leaves. We'll come back to that later. Mm -hmm. So according to Brene Brown, shame 
is correlated with anxiety, addictions, aggression, bullying, crime, suicide, and violence. And she's of the opinion that guilt is not correlated with the above. Now, if she's right, um, this uh, is pretty damning for our penal system because um, the penal system does deal with guilt and uh, behavior modification, but seldom tries to address the shame in the uh, prisoner's maker. In fact, prisons are designed to increase the shame in a person. It's a way of control. I have to say that all psychologists don't agree with Brown's analysis. But I'm going to follow it um, just because we don't make this too complicated. It's interesting that you cite the prison system. Uh, I recently just watched something with my wife um, of a group of prisoners in a circle, a huge circle, and the lady in the center just asked a series of questions. And, and then each time if they experienced that, they took one step forward. And it was amazing how many, if not all, of the prisoners had experienced a parent that had abused them, had hit them, had yelled at them, you know, all of these very shaming actions. And, um, and they felt very um, seen and understood by her because she was addressing something nobody else was talking about, was the shame that they experienced in their lives. Yes. Yeah, that's a perfect segue for statements that produce shame in a person, especially a young person. Uh, you are a bad boy or a bad girl. Um, so, or something like, you are stupid. And the, the phrase I dislike the most, you should. You know, the, the reason I dislike that statement is because it means that you have judged me and have decided the future course of my life. And I find it very demeaning. And yet it's very common in conversation. An allied statement is you must, or even the question, why don't you? Uh, it's a little less uh, severe than you should and you must. So these statements all uh, originate outside of us. And when they originate with powerful people we know, or significant people in our lives, they can really create shame in our understanding. So I can see why Brene Brown would say, if you breathe, you experience shame. Because I look at these statements and realize that at some point, we, we probably all get these statements often from our parents because they're frustrated with us or something that we did that upset them. And, and so uh, it's very, uh, very easy to, to acquire this sense of shame from the way that uh, our parents treat us. You know, parents don't uh, set out to build shame in their children. Uh, the problem is we parent as we were parented. Mm -hmm. And so it gets passed on from generation to generation. And I think there is, I think there's an aspect that we as uh, individuals will even take the things that our parents say and interpret them to create shame, that the parents didn't intend that at all. But we play a part in that as well. It's not totally our parents' fault. Do you want to say more on that? Well, I think sometimes, as I've, um, what is his name? Um, John Eldridge talks about the, the, the wound that we get. And, uh, and sometimes there'll be an incident that happened. I can remember an incident with my dad. Uh, he did something, and, and I internalized that in a way that, um, really wounded me, and he doesn't even remember, didn't remember it ever happening. 
Uh, he wanted me to do something and I didn't want to and was arguing with him and, and he got angry and kind of pulled back to punch me, which he never did. I had never had and never, never did other than a spanking that I probably deserved. Uh, but it, but it, it really gave me that sense of feeling that I wasn't good enough. And, um, but I internalized it that way. He, uh, he doesn't even remember it happening. Well, I'm glad you have an opportunity to talk to him. Yeah. You know, I, I had a similar experience is that I, I went with my brother and father. My brother's two years younger than I am. And we went uh, to uh, dip, uh, dehorn and castrate the steers. And I was teasing my brother. And uh, my father said to me, if you don't stop teasing your brother, I'll castrate you. Now, I'm quite sure he never meant to do that. And I'm quite sure that if I had talked to him, he wouldn't have remembered saying that. But you know, that statement burned into my soul. And when I read Eldridge's book um, about hurts from childhood, that immediately came to mind. Mm. Whenever I thought about it, I had this emotional response within myself. So Eldridge says, you must tell another human being, somebody who's safe. So at the time I was visiting a, a prisoner in jail who was going to be there another 10 years. So I figured it was safe to tell him. Yeah, right. No, it really sounds pathetic now that I talk about it. So the next time I visited him, I said, well, you know, my dad was a rancher and he knew I came from Africa. So he said, ha I probably ranched with elephants. I said, no, with beef cattle. And I told him the story and he laughed and he said, well, I know you've got two children. So yeah, it obviously didn't happen. And you know, ever since I told that one person, he had no idea of the significance of this uh, shame that I carried within me over 50 years. Uh, uh, just like a, a wonderful weight rolled off my shoulders. Now, when I, I talk about that incident, I have no emotional response within me anymore. Mm. It's just done, done. Amazing. So, yeah. So how do we resolve shame? So first of all, we recognize that we have the shame. That's quite difficult uh, because we used to hiding these feelings and to actually identify them and then to acknowledge them to somebody uh, that's safe. Sometimes you need to get professional help. The shame so deep-seated that um, just recognizing and acknowledging it's not going to provide enough antidote for you. What also helps is to recognize our strengths because we all have strengths. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting when I sit down with somebody and I ask them, so here's the strengths I see in you. They're often very surprised at what I see in them. Hmm. And yes, that's, I actually see it. And then I ask them, what strength do you see in me? And every now and then somebody uh, says something to me that I was ignorant of, hmm. uh, but on reflection, they write. For instance, the other day I was talking to a colleague and we were going through this exercise and he said to me, Ian, you are one of the most honest people I know when it comes to describing what happens inside of you. I've never actually thought about that before. Um, but it, it is actually true. Even today, for instance, I've told things that are pretty private. Mm -hmm. So another uh, antidote for shame is to control or stop our negative self-talk. I mean, just not allow it. Now, it, it is uh, very interesting to me that after I've been speaking in public, usually a few hours later, I will come to the conclusion that the talk I gave was just a waste of time and boring to other people. Hmm, that's very it, interesting. It, it happens almost every time. Yeah. Um, and it'll happen to me tonight. Um, mm. When I, I think about some of the mistakes and omissions I made in this podcast. And the, the way I deal with it is, 
I, I talk to myself very sternly. And I say, Ian, you are one of God's princes. And he loves you. And he cares for you. And it's okay. You did your best. Right. So, one of the antidotes. Sorry. So, I was just going to say, when I have the opportunity to talk to the students that are going into the ministry, I always uh, tell them, um, never, never quit. If you ever feel like quitting, never quit on a Sunday. Because often that's when you feel most like quitting. And that's the kind of thing yeah. that you described. Yeah. So, empathy by another person, according to Brene Brown, is the greatest antidote to shame. So, I'd like to unpack that just a little bit. Um, when somebody is telling you about their shame, and you can say this honestly, you can say, I feel like that too sometimes. That's a wonderful healing uh, therapy uh, for a person to discover that they're not alone in their shame. If, on the other hand, you have no idea what they're talking about, say so. I have no idea what you're talking about. Tell me about it. Mm. Educate it. And then a question like, so what's the worst part about what you're telling me? Mm -hmm. So the reason for asking a question like that is because the more people talk about shame, uh, the more they're dealing with it, their own personal shame. Mm. Brene Brown says the less we talk about shame, the more we have shame. Wow, that's quite a statement. Well, you know, she's interviewed thousands of people in connection with shame. Mm -hmm. She, I really respect her as an authority on recognizing shame and finding the antidote for it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, um, all of us have a, a rational, logical, cognitive aspect to our consciousness, and then we have an emotional uh, uh, consciousness. And these two seem to be always competing for our reality. Are we who we say we are logically, or are we who we feel we are? Because they don't always agree. Right. I mean, sometimes uh, the person feels depressed and discouraged, and there's no logical reason for it. Mm. And one of the very helpful understandings that I've come to is that emotional hurts are not healed by advice. Like if somebody's really anxious, it's no good saying to them, well, you shouldn't be anxious. They are anxious. That is their reality at that particular moment. Right. So you might want to talk with them about what their anxiety is about. And if you've ever been anxious about the same thing or something else, your logic, your cognitive mind, your rational mind does not heal a person emotionally. One needs to come close to that person emotionally in order, in order to be helpful to them. So, I want to end the podcast uh, just by talking about Adam and Eve uh, in terms of guilt and shame. So, they eat, let's say, the apples. Mm -hmm. And they feel guilty because they have a sense of integrity and their conscience has been educated not to eat of that fruit. So they experience guilt. Now, when I experience guilt, I don't experience nakedness. Uh, I experience this heavy heaviness in my heart. Um, and if they were discovered they were naked, which they did, why did it bother them? There were only animals there. I have no objection to my cat watching me get dressed in the morning. Mm -hmm. So there's something else going on here. 
So I'm suggesting that there's more to the story than what is told in Genesis chapter 3. And that's a very short um, recounting of what actually happened there. And interestingly enough, God asked them, who told you that you were naked? Like implied in that question is that somebody told them that they were naked. And I'm suggesting that the serpent did that. Oh, interesting. That uh, there was quite a bit of dialogue that went on here after the fruit was eaten. And the serpent then heaped the shame on them, um, which was uh, that they were very inadequate now. So when God, uh, so they make their own uh, ropes out of fig leaves to try and cover their shame. That is not their guilt, but their shame. One of the problems is the Bible doesn't distinguish between guilt and shame, but we can. Mm -hmm. So they make these robes, but they're still going to hiding. Uh, they're still afraid of seeing God. And then God comes to them. Now, this is quite important, is that after they've sinned, God doesn't turn his back on them, but he comes to them and he provides robes or tunics to deal with the shame. So that when they put those tunics on, they felt good about themselves in spite of um, the shame that has now come into their lives. So by looking at this one story, um, we see that understanding the difference between guilt and shame helps us to understand the story better. It helps us to understand ourselves better and the stress we feel and what the antidote uh, for the stress is. If it's guilt, it's different to it being shame. I hope this has been helpful. Uh, on the next podcast, we'll take uh, a few more uh, Bible examples of people who experienced guilt and shame and how they dealt with it or how God dealt with it. Well, this is very, very interesting, Ian, to understand the difference between guilt and shame. And I'm really looking forward to discovering how we can apply that to Bible stories and understand more about ourselves in our spiritual journey and how we relate to God and understanding who God really is. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to contact us, you can at Rediscovering God on Facebook or Instagram, or send us an email to rediscoveringgod20 at gmail.com. We are encouraged to hear how this picture of God is making a difference for you. And if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple, you can leave a review or rate the podcast so that others will become more aware of a God that is love as revealed by Jesus Christ. Thank you.